Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Hello again. As I said, it's a fifth Sunday, so we usually bring a special kids message for the kids who are in here on the fifth Sunday, and usually it involves something magical or special that I bring with me, or Miss Emily, or whoever's doing the children's moment brings up with them, something, a mystery thing, so you'll see that in a minute. But who knows, who remembers what, what story in the Bible has Pastor Brandon been talking to us about in church? Who remembers? I heard a few. Job, right? Okay, Job. Job had a lot of bad things happen to him, right? A lot of bad things. How many of you can relate? Anybody ever had anything bad happen to them that they didn't want? Right? Did you ever question God? Did you ever wonder why these things were happening? That's normal. Job did that too. He questioned God too. So we're going to look at Job's story just a little bit before Matt comes up for the sermon. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Job 42.2. So I'll give you a minute to turn in your Bible. So in this verse, Job is speaking to God. This is after he had already lost everything. He had lost his health, his children, his workers, his animals. He had lost absolutely everything. And when I say everything, I mean absolutely everything. He was broke. He had nothing. He had nothing left. And he was miserable. His health was horrible. He had no idea why God was allowing these things to happen to him, which a lot of times when we're going through something bad, we wonder the same thing, right? So we can totally relate to Job in some way or form. We can relate to Job. Why are we having bad things happen to us? God, why? We question. We want to know. And Job did question God. However, he never cursed God. He didn't curse God. He stayed connected to God. He stayed with God through all of his trials. So let's look at that verse. It's Job 42.2. It says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. So thwarted is kind of a big word that means um, prevented or stopped. Nothing can thwart whatever God's purpose is. Nothing can stop whatever God's purpose is. So if God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, he will see us through our problems that we're going through to get to the other side. And he is there with us in the middle of our problems, in the messiness of our problems. And we can have faith that he is there with us on the other side of our problems when we get through to the other side. So Job trusts God. He knows that God is going to see him on the other side. So now we have a little object lesson. Which involves a few pencils, sharpened pencils. and a Ziploc bag of water, okay? So the pencils are us. So we have problems. We need to get through our problems. So God is there with us the whole time. 
We don't want to, we shouldn't pull away from God. We should stick with God. We should push through and stay with God. So things get messy sometimes whenever we choose to pull away from God and we don't lean into him. It can get messy. But if we choose to stick with him, I'm going to show you. This pencil's going to go through the bag. Do you think it's going to be messy? I heard a yes and a no. So let's see. This is kind of a cool science thing, too, something about the plastic bag. So here we go. We're going to go through. We're going through our problems. We're going to the other side. It's not drippy. So that's one problem. We have another problem. Are we going to stick with God, or are we going to get in the middle of it and pull, pull back out and decide that we don't want to stick with God? Then it'll get messy. It gets messy a lot of times anyway, but... With God, we know that he will see us through to the other side. So here's another problem. Stay with God, push through, lean into God on the other side. How about another problem? Same thing. Stick with God, push through our problems, pray through our problems, stick with God, and he will be there for us even if it's painful. It's painful at times, right? It's messy, it's painful, it's not easy, but God will be there with us through it all. So I encourage you, if you're going through something difficult or when you go through difficult things, lean into God, push into God, don't pull back. Lean into him, lean into your um, good, solid Christian friends and relationships, continue to pray, continue to read God's word, and he will be there with you and see you through to the other side. So thank you. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that you give us, for the confidence and the hope that we can have in you, that you will be there with us through everything. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you where they need to be, and help us to lean into you when we go through tough times. God, I pray you be with Matt as he brings the message this morning. Use him to deliver your words that you've laid on his heart. We love you, Lord, and we give this day to you. Amen. Uh, Melissa definitely deserves a round of applause. See, if you want to, um, I can speak in front of like any number of people, and I maybe have said this before. Um, I'm, I'm good to go. I can step right up and, and speak. I don't have any nerves. But ask me to do a children's message, and my knees are wobbling. I don't know. It's like little kids. They, they, they don't pull any punches. They're just like, they, they look right through you, and they're just like, that was terrible. And you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> thank you. And then you feel pretty uh, useless for the rest of the day. But Melissa always does a great job, and Emily does a great job when they come up and do it, and so I'm thankful for people. People, me having kids of my own, you know, here thankful for that children's ministry. Uh, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. I am a member here of North Maine, and it's an honor for me to be a member here. It's an honor for me to be um, in relationship with all of you. Uh, I get excited every time I get to come and spend time with you all. I get excited when we come and, uh, and do worship together, and so this morning's no different. I'm always excited to come in and just worship and to praise God and to learn a little bit more about Him. So this morning, we're going to be continuing on finishing up the story of Job. So we're going to be looking at Job a little bit more. And uh, Pastor Brandon talked about the beginning of Job last week, talked about how uh, 
there was a bit of a wager that went on um, in the book of Job and about how God had allowed this protection, this veil of protection that was around Job to fall. And uh, he allowed that protection to fall away and trouble came into Job's life. Um, and this was a test to see um, Job's, Job's true heart. Um, God knew kind of where Job was sitting, um, but there were people that were accusing Job of being someone who would not withstand this trials. Um, and so we see this happening, and uh, this morning we're going to focus on the end of Job. We're going to look at the very end of Job, Job 42. And, uh, but before we get into that, I want to do a little bit, there's a large bit of Job that's in between what Pastor Brandon taught and what I taught, and I want to get us caught up with what happens, because I found a lot of people tend to not read Job. Uh, maybe they've skimmed it, maybe they know kind of like the basic story of Job, but it's not a very happy book, and it's really a hard one to wrestle with. I know personally, um, as time has gone on, as I've gotten older, as I've faced more troubles in my life, as I've gone through hard times, Job has become more palatable to me, um, and maybe that's something that you've experienced. Uh, when I was younger, I was always like, I couldn't understand the hurt, and I couldn't imagine the hurt. I couldn't understand what Job was going through, and I couldn't understand how any good could come of it. Um, you know, it was like, I would always pray, don't let what happened to Job happen to me. That was how I looked at Job, right? It was kind of like, I just hope that never happens to me. Don't let me, you know, be tested by God in that way. And as I've gotten older and I've been tested in various things and I've gone through different trials and tribulations, um, Job, like I said, has become more and more palatable, more and more comforting. Um, I take a lot of advice from Job. A lot of times I find myself going back and seeing how God interacted with Job in that way. And uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. But like I said, I want to get us caught up a little bit on what happened. So like I said, Pastor Brandon was talking about this wager that goes on in heaven. God is uh, standing with his heavenly host and someone comes up named the accuser. Pastor Brandon kind of talked about that a little bit. The accuser comes up and says, hey, this person, Job, only really loves you. It only really praises you because you've blessed him. You protect him. You keep him from harm. You keep him from bad things from happening. So, of course, he's going to love you. Of course, he's going to praise you. And God said, no, Job's different. Job loves me because he knows who I am. He's respectful of who I am. And he would love me even if you took all those things away. And so the wager begins um, if I take all these things away. So we see throughout the book of Job, we see him lose one kind of pillar of his life. If you've ever done any, uh, any kind of research into psychology, they talk about like pillars of your life. Um, some pillars are like family, you have jobs. And, and when more than one of those pillars start to topple, um, they call that is like, it's pretty much um, like red blinking lights that something is going to break. Um, as, you know, if your family pillar topples and then all of a sudden your job uh, pillar topples and then all of a sudden your um, housing pillar, your, your home pillar topples, then your support pillar topples and all of a sudden you, you begin to become depressed and you fall into um, a breaking point. And so they say that as long as a couple of these pillars can stand, then you can survive through a lot of these things. Religion is one of our pillars. And so a lot of people, when all the other pillars fall, they can cling to God, they can cling to religion. And we see Job kind of doing this here where he says, all other pillars have fallen, um, but I'm going to cling to this one pillar. And the thing that's interesting is that he loses some of his pillars really quick. Uh, he loses his family um, in an accident. 
He loses all of his crops by um, people coming and stealing or burning and killing them. They, they have people come and steal his flocks. And so you have a ton of things happen right after another. And yet he, he thinks, I still have a couple of these pillars. I still have my wife. I still have my friends. And I still have God. And so we see as the chapters go on, his wife and Brandon, Pastor Brandon mentioned this, his wife turns from him. And he loses that pillar. The last pillar of family kind of falls away when she says, whatever's happening here, all of this, this turmoil that's come upon our family, it's your fault. You should curse God and you should die. So he sees another pillar fall away. And then his friends, and we get into these friends a lot. This is the whole kind of middle section of the book of Job is he has these three friends. And these three friends are seen as wise people in his community, people who have good relationships and good standing with God. So you could say people that are maybe be like leaders in the church. And Job was considered one of these leaders in the church, in, this, in the religion, um, in his community. He was seen as kind of a leader, a patriarch of this group. And he goes to his other friends and he says, what is happening? Help me. Give me advice. All of you are the wisest among us. Please help me. I thought I was wise, but I have no idea what is going on. And so he gets some mixed advice from these friends. We see these friends give him um, anything from, hey, this is your own fault, to, hey, there must be some secret sin, to you're not worshiping correctly, you're not doing the things that you should be doing correctly. And so they kind of say, hey, this is all your fault. And Job keeps coming back and saying, I, I can't think of a single sin that I've done. I can't think of anything that would bring about this. I have tried my very hardest to sacrifice and worship in such a way that is pleasing to God, and yet all these things continue to happen. So we see these three friends giving him poor advice, giving him um, advice that is against. And these three friends are named, um, they have kind of hard names to pronounce. It's Eliphaz. He also has um, one named Zophar and Bildad. And these three friends keep coming back to him. And again, that's that whole middle part of this book is that Job keeps going back to them and saying, I just, you're giving me these answers and I just don't really feel like that's right. I, I can't find why um, this is happening and you keep telling me it's my fault. I've, I've gone through everything. I've, I've made sacrifices. I've tried, but it's still happening. What is happening? And he gets to his breaking point and he finally reaches out to God because these friends, they break away too. So this last pillar of friendship falls and all he has left is God. And he turns to God and he just basically screams at God and says, why? Why? I don't know about you, I can relate to that. There's been times in my life where I've just been to a point and I was just like, why? Why would you allow this to happen? I know you have control of everything. I know it. We're going to get into that a little bit because I'm not sure that I actually believed it. Um, I maybe knew it up in my, in my head, but I think Job was kind of in a similar position. He knew the language, he knew what it was, but he wasn't quite to that point where he was ready to acknowledge what it really, really meant. And we see a fourth, well, actually a fifth character kind of walk into the situation at this point. And this character I really like a lot. Um, his name is Elihu, or Elihu. And 
It's a young man in the, commu- in the community that Job lives in. And this young man walks in, and he basically walks up to Job, and he says, hey, I've kind of been watching this from a distance. I let all of you have your time to speak. I let these other friends speak because they're older than I am. They have more prestige. They have a higher standing in the community. So I allowed them to speak. But they're giving you terrible advice. He actually says, he says to Job, I thought you were one of these wise men, and yet you're hanging out with them. After you hear their advice, you keep coming back and asking for more, and it's terrible. I thought you were better than this. I thought you were wiser than this. Because I'm going to tell you something that's going to give you peace. He doesn't tell Job that he's going to fix his problems. It's a pretty interesting part there. He says, I'm not going to tell you anything that that fixes this, this situation. What I'm going to tell you is how to find peace. And Job listens, and we see this happen, and, and Elihu comes in, and he basically says, who are you to ask why? To really sum it up. Now, this is really hard, and please do not take it that I'm giving that flippantly, because I've struggled with this more than, than a lot of other things. And I think currently, right now, that mentality even though I have come to the conclusion that it's true, is a big shaking point for people in the church, specifically right now in our culture. See, uh, the, between millennials and Gen Z, the three popul- most popular social media platforms right now are Snapchat, TikTok, and YouTube. If you spend a lot of time on any of those platforms, which I, I get into YouTube more than any of them, but I do, I have a TikTok. I don't have a Snapchat. I never got into that one. But um, if you watch those, you will see a consistent kind of just, I'll call it like a deluge, like just, just a dumping of people in these platforms coming out. And it's what they're calling it is deconstructing evangelicalism. I don't know if you've heard that term, but one of the things is this idea that we've gotten so far off track that everything is bad, and, and, and the, the root of the Bible is that there's love, and we should love everyone. And, and it's interesting to watch a lot of these young people deconstruct their faith and then decide that they're going to rebuild it however they like. And so we see a lot of people saying, well, I don't like this part of it. I'm going to deconstruct it. I'm going to push it away. I'm going to tear it apart. And I'm going to use these building blocks to build something that I think is palatable. And one of the things that they deconstruct away almost every time is the idea that we don't deserve to ask why. And this is tough. Because God says, you're allowed to ask why. You see, if you read through Job, he doesn't tell Job not to. He doesn't come in and say, well, you're cursed for life because you asked why. But Elihu basically says, who are you to approach the God of the universe and question his plan? And Job responds in a way that shows his true heart. It's that tipping point that that kind of ends the wager is Job realizes Elihu is correct And he basically, he tears his clothes again. He takes dust and ash, puts it on his head, and he falls down and he repents. He repents for asking why. Now here's the thing is that nowhere does it ever say, again, that he 
that he was not allowed to ask why, but his sin was not just merely asking why. His sin was questioning God's plan. And if we're honest, this again, this is so hard because I do this daily. And if we're going to go and jump the line and say that questioning God's plan is sinful, perhaps, that's tough. That's tough. Because there's so often that we just look at what happens and we just say, God, like, if it had happened this other way, it would have been so much better. If I had had just a little bit more money, it would have been so much better. If I hadn't lost my job, it'd be so much better. And we can list all these things out just like Job could. He could list out any number of things and say, if I had my family back, if that hadn't happened, if my crops hadn't failed, at least then I could have salvaged something. God, you've, your plan is horrible and your plan is unfair and I don't understand it. And this young man who... Like he said, he waited his time. He has wisdom beyond his years, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning is how do we find wisdom amongst all of this, especially in a culture that wants to deconstruct the church where if, if we've not been hit by it here, I mean, I think we have some. It's coming. Across the United States, we are losing people from the church in droves. And this is not something where we look at it and say, well, what do we need to attract them back in? What I genuinely think is happening is that they're being posed with the question of, do you believe what the Bible says? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Because if you do, then it stops being about the why, and it starts being about praise, living a life of honor and glory to God no matter what you face. And again, that's, I, want to hear, I want you to hear me as I, as I speak. Do not think that if you're going through trials that God does not want you to talk about them. I have reached out with a why. I have reached out with a scream to God many times in my life, asking for comfort, asking for... Every great person in the Bible has reached out to God for comfort, has reached out to God asking why. So this is not a, something where we should avoid doing it, but it's... If we want to reach a place where we're coming to peace, that's the whole, whole point of this whole year. It's talking about how do we reach a place where we come to peace. It only comes through wisdom. You might be thinking, well, I, how does that work? How, do, how does that work to find peace? Because I thought it was just a lack of conflict. And we've been talking about that. Um, is peace is all-encompassing. It's, it's the lack of worry. It's the lack of, of questions. It's the lack of these things. And, and it's, a, it's being okay when things like that come, when the questions do come. How do I still stay at peace when I'm worrying, when I have these fears inside me, whenever I face these trials, whenever I face tribulations? How can I go through life that has so much trouble and so much question and still come out on the other side feeling at peace in my soul? And this is something that I've really struggled with. And so that's what our main, our main point today before we even jump into um, the scripture, and I know I'm bouncing it around a little bit, um, but our key point today is trusting the wisdom of God requires humility, which brings peace to the soul. So trusting the wisdom of God requires humility, which brings peace to the soul. The Bible tells us several places that the key to wisdom is knowing God. The key to wisdom is the fear of God. 
We see that in Psalms. We actually see this in Job. The verse says that knowing God or, or fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. It shows up, I think, four or five times throughout Scripture, this idea that knowing God is this beginning to wisdom. And I used to think to myself, okay, well, that must mean that like, when you become a Christian, you're enlightened to this book. You, you, become, you have knowledge of the salvation. You, you become um, open to how Christ saved us. That must be this wisdom, and that's part of it. But as I've gotten older, as I've gone through trials, as I've gone through hardship, I've begun to realize that wisdom and the fear of God is something more. The more I've studied God, the more I've poured into God and listened to preachers and sermons and professors, theologians, as I've read books, I'll be 100% honest with you, God has become bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and all-encompassing to a point that I can't even begin to fathom him. And they say, that begins to cause me fear. And when that happens, that's when the Bible says, ah, you're starting to dabble in, the, in wisdom. This idea that God is so much bigger than we are. And here's the thing is that that's uncomfortable and it's meant to be. It's why these young people are throwing it out. They're saying, I don't want anything to do with it because it's scary. It's uncomfortable. I don't like to think that I'm not in control of my life. I don't like to think that there's something bigger and beyond this that holds me accountable. I don't like to think that there's something in this world that makes it so that if I mess up, I'm going to have to answer to it. Or that I can't do just whatever I want to do. It's scary, and we see Job and his friends kind of wrestling with this idea because Job's friends, they were telling him, you did this. They were not even giving the glory to God. That's the whole point of this, this book, is that they were telling him, it's all on you, Job. It's all on you. And Elihu came in and he said, all of you, what are you talking about? Job can't change the weather. Job can't change the currents in the sea. How is this all on Job? Did Job cause the, uh, the, the crops to burn? Did Job cause the animals to die? He says, you are thinking much too highly of yourself and much too small of God. And the funny thing is, is that God comes in and he's like, I, I think of like Elihu as being like a hype man for God. He's like, gets everybody like pumped and then God comes in and he's like, yeah, what he said. <laughs> like, because he walks into the scene and he talks to Job and he says exactly almost word for word what Elihu says. He says, yeah, Job, I have a question for you. That's how he starts it out. He goes, Job, I have a question for you. And Job says, anything, what? Why is this all happening? I'll answer anything. He goes, where were you when I created the earth? Where were you when I created the stars? And man, I don't like this at all. I'm just being honest. I don't like it at all. Because... There's so many times when I've sat, you know, on my knees and just, like, just crushed and just asking God, please take this away or please make this different or please give me this. I've been struggling. You know, there's been times when we, me and my wife have struggled with uh, money situations. Oh, God, if we just had a little bit more money, a little bit more of this or a little bit of that, well, guess what? That's not the key. If you watch the news, we see the richest person in the entire world. A second, I guess. Now, 
the third or something, <laughs> is, being, is getting a divorce. Bill Gates getting a divorce. You read some things behind the scenes, and his life seems very unhappy. There's something more, something bigger than what our ideas are, something bigger than what our thoughts are, and it is what sets reality. That's the beginning of wisdom. God called himself, I am. I always struggled with that too. Growing up, I was like, what is that? It's like a play on words or something. And, and, and I couldn't fathom the deepness of it. And now, as I've sat and I've, I've wrestled with troubles, everything that the life can throw at you, I look at that statement and I say, yeah. He is, he is truth. What he does becomes reality. What he does is the truth. He can't do anything that is antithetical to the reality and what is good because everything that he does is good. I know that this is really hard to deal with and I know that it's struggle. We don't like to think about these kinds of thoughts a lot of times. We like to push them out and just kind of simplistically come. And that's a lot of times Jesus says that's almost what we have to do. See, um, I've been struggling with this idea of, of what I call the young child, old man like complex. And I think other people have struggled with this as well. But the Bible talks about the wisdom of, of the old man, but it also talks about the wisdom of the young child. And we see this kind of like circular relationship, almost like uh, I'm not getting into, you know, um, any kind of Western religion or anything, but like almost like a yin-yang, like they, they pair together, they go together. This, you have to be like as a young child to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to approach Christ. And yet, when you're done learning and getting, um, you should leave and not be satisfied with milk anymore, Paul says. You have to become mature. That comes through trial, through perseverance, Paul says. And so we see this all happening in Job, and the response from Elihu is just so powerful. If you don't get a chance, um, if you've never read it before, read it. We're going to read a little bit of it today, but I know that that's a long kind of setup for the portion that we're going to read right now. Um, but let's turn to Job 42. And after, after um, Job has had this conversation with Elihu, after Job has had this conversation with God, where basically they've said, who are you to question me? Who are you to question what's happening? This is the response. This is how this all kind of comes to a conclusion. Job answers back to the Lord. He says, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? So this is God's question to him. He said, who are you to question me? Who are you? So Job says, that's what you asked me. And he goes, this is my answer. It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. That is why Job is in the Bible. That statement right there. His repentance was a change of thinking. It's hard because a lot of times we think, okay, it's, I'll stop doing something. I'll stop sinning or I'll stop doing it. But, but Jesus elevates religion out of the doing, right? 
He elevates it out of it into the thinking. We have to internalize these things. That's why the Bible doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your actions. It does, that's part of it. But he says, love it with all your heart, soul, and mind because it's internal. It's a change of thinking. So Job repents through a change of thought. He says, I know, I was, I was talking about things that I know nothing about, things that are far too wonderful for me. And then you said, he's talking about God, listen and I will speak. He says, you, God, asked, I have some questions for you and you must answer them. And then this is Job saying again, I had only heard about you before, but now that I've seen you with my own eyes, I take back everything I said. I will sit in the dust and the ash and show my repentance. Job experienced God in such a real and powerful way in the midst of his suffering and trials that his entire worldview shifted. I've had a lot of conversations specifically um, the past couple of years where um, I've talked with a lot of Christians who... um, you know, maybe I've called out or we've been in discussions and I said, I don't know if, if you can really like think that way um, and not be getting into some dangerous territory or, or how can you kind of speak that way? And they say, oh, well, you know, I'll speak my mind, right? This idea of speaking whatever you want, speaking your truth, speaking whatever opinion you might have regardless of how it affects others around you has become very popular. And the Bible says the exact opposite of it. The Bible says your tongue is like a sword. It can kill. It can destroy. It's a rudder. It turns mighty ships. It's like a flame. It can burn and destroy. He says your tongue is controlled through your thoughts. Your actions are controlled by your thoughts. So a lot of people I've I've talked with will say, well, you know, I never hurt anybody. I never actually go out and do anything. And I said, well, give it some time. If the way you're thinking is, is the way you're thinking, then yeah, just give it some time. Because it'll eventually come out some way. The point of being a Christian is changing how we think. Changing interior, in our interior. Allowing that to flow out from us with the help of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you, this is something that I, uh, I struggled with a lot. Coming here um, in 2019... I look at the book of Job and I just think that I was in a place of really severe depression whenever I came here. I've shared this before and it lasted about two years. I'm coming out of it now through some counseling and through um, just different things, some people here who've been really influential. Um, And I look at Job and I see him reaching out for counsel and it's similar to what I did in those times where I felt just dark and depressed and at the bottom. And uh, I reached out to people and the funny thing is, is that they gave me Elihu advice. People here, that's why I'm always so grateful for whenever I come up here. I don't just, not blowing smoke, I genuinely come up here. I, I view you all as kind of a salvation for me as far as my life. I was saved here in this church and, and a body that can allow you to have struggles and yet still calls out untrue thoughts. Everything that I was doing during those 2019, 2020, when I was struggling with this, I wasn't doing anything outwardly. I wasn't like sinning as far as, I could almost be like Job where I was like, well, I wasn't like hurting anyone or doing anything like this. I can't think of why I'm going through this suffering. And if you've dealt with depression, you know that it is. It breaks you down. 
why is this? I'm sitting there questioning God, why, why, why? And I've met with guys here in this church that I've become close with, and a lot of them said uh, that your thoughts, where they're going, they're not true. That's not what the Bible says. And I'll tell you that I had to change my thoughts. Part of that came not just through me just saying, and, I, and if you're suffering from depression, it's not always that easy. I know that. I had to struggle with going through medication, as Brandon talked about, and trying to change up with counselors and things. So there's more to it. But a huge portion, the turning point was counsel. People reaching out and saying, do you know who God is? I felt whenever I first came here, because I was struggling so much with those things, I remember Pastor Brandon asking, saying, like, hey, would you like to speak? And it took me a long time. I said, no, I, I don't want to speak. I can't feel like I'm in a place to do that. I can't speak um, into people's lives. And it was funny because one of the people in that group said, that's an untrue thought. Some of the things you're struggling with, other people are struggling with, you can speak into their lives. So I started coming out of my, my shell, so to speak. I only share that because if you're alone here, if you're going through suffering, if you're going through tragedy, heartache, and you think that this sounds really scary, admitting that there's someone out there larger, how can, how can this tragedy I'm going through even be part of God's plan? How can he use it? I'm not sure who I'm, who I'm supposed to turn to. Turn to God. Turn to people here who will give you good counsel, who will point you to God. Because that's what Job had to do to reach that point where he came in and he said, God, I know who you are now. It was a shift in his whole worldview. How he behaved was influenced by it. We see it continued on. It says, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me, as my servant Job has. So take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offerings for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. I, I read that portion and I think, how often is that the, um, the accusation that God could leverage against myself? How often do I not speak accurately because I want something? Those friends wanted to help. They wanted to ease the pain, right? And so they, they were trying to look for a solution to what was going on. And uh, the real solution was trusting God. That was the wisdom in this situation, was to trust who God was. And so often, that's where I find myself. I'm like, oh, I want to fix this. I want to do this. And then I have to remind myself, who am I to think that I can fix all of these things? And it's not my job. Paul talks about this. He says, um, it's one person's job to plant the seed. It's another person's to water it. But the only person who can make it grow is God. Right? And so he says, these things that we want to have so much control over our lives, we can't. And we see, so Eliphaz and Ta the Tamalite, Bilidad, the Shuhite, and the Zephar, the Namathite, those tricky ones, um, did as the Lord commanded them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. 
Then all his brothers and sisters um, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and they comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each one of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons, three more daughters. He named his first daughter Jemima, and his second Kezia, and third Karen Hapuk. In all of the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. And their father put them into his will along with his brothers. Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived long and full life. So what can we take from this story? Because I think a lot of times this gets twisted and turned as we look through this. Like I said, the whole point of Job, the whole reason why this was happening was because Job had to learn who God was. And that's our first point is we have to be willing to um, know our place in relation to God's. I've, I've said this a lot. I think it's like almost every sermon that I've preached, this has been one of the points uh, because this is how we find peace. This is how we find peace is acknowledging that we aren't in control. So often everything that we have anxiety about or that we struggle about, that we, de- that we are depressed about, that we are f- afraid about are things that we couldn't fix even if we wanted to, that we couldn't control even if we, if we wanted to try. And that makes us afraid. And a lot of times when we think these things are completely out of control, it's chaos. It leads us to want to kind of withdraw and put up walls to protect ourselves. But that's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible says there is someone in control. You might not understand it. You might not see what that end result is going to be. And this is the thing. I, I, I fully admit that this is, it really boils down to this is faith. I, get so, I, I, I laugh sometimes because I see some of these people on YouTube or TikTok or something talking about like, oh, I deconstructed my faith and now I've come to this point where like, you know, I don't know if there really is a God. I like to love other people and I want to be at this point, but there's probably not a God in the other. But, you know, I want to call myself a Christian, but I, I don't know, some of this and some of that. The point of the Bible is that there is someone who is in control. And that we are so far removed from that being that he had to send his only son to remedy the distance between the two of us. That's what it says. And so being a Christian is believing that. And so this is where it comes down to. If we want peace, we must know our place in relation to God. We must know that when we face these struggles and trials and we come in and we say, God, I don't know why I'm going through this, but Paul tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials and tribulations because it builds within us perseverance, which allows us to become closer to God and rely more heavily on him. We have to know who he is and who we are. We see this, we see Job doing this um, in 42.3. 
Again, this is the whole point of why he's in here. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? And Job answers, it is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. He gets it. We see every major, if you want to call them heroes of the Bible, every major player in the Bible at some point in time gets that point. It's why they're in the Bible. Every single one at some point realizes who God is and it wrecks them to the point where it changes how they view the entire world around them. That's when transformation happens. Sometimes we struggle with that and we say, but there's things that belong to me. There's things that I have been, uh, that are in my life that, and it's hard because I don't, I don't know where God starts and where, you know, how do I parcel him out and, and where does religion fall into my life? A lot of times I see people talking about that. Like, well, I like my religion and I like having it over here, right? Um, and it's, it's cool if you want to do that and it can stay over there. But that's not, again, what the Bible says. We see this, and this is our second point here, says that everything belongs to God. Your time, your possessions, your money. Here's another crazy one. The people in your life. I struggled with this one, especially um, when I became a parent. We see this idea that kids are our possession. Super prevalent. Super prevalent. A lot of times we call it something else, maybe like helicopter parenting, right? Where we want our kids to do everything that we want them to do. And the Bible says, no. See, when I look at my daughters, I, I had to shift my thinking and it affected my actions. And this is, this is the truth. This is why thoughts are so important, why I want to stress to you this morning, if you don't take anything else away, to take away this idea that that very first point, that God is in control, that God is bigger than we are. Because if we begin to shift those thoughts, we can affect how we behave. When I look at my daughters, and for a long time I would see, and I'd say, okay, these are my daughters. These are, they're my family, and it was a lot of mine. It was a lot of mine. And, and when they would, um, when I couldn't get them to do something or whenever I was trying to, you know, teach them something, it was a lot of like, well, if I don't do this, it was just a lot of pressure that back onto me. And there was a lot of control because if I messed it up, then, um, then it's on me. So there'd be a lot of like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, right? It's a lot of control. And there was a time whenever I was looking at my daughters one time and it just, a light bulb switched and I was like, they don't belong to me. They belong to God. And he has entrusted them to be a part of my family and part of my job is to steward them through this life. And all of a sudden, it allowed me to start make, allowing them to make more decisions on their own. You're your own creation in life. Now, I'm not trying to get in here to give parenting advice, but it, shift, it shifted how I parented because I began to look at them. The same thing went for my wife. Whenever I stopped looking at her now, being possessive and jealous has never been something that I really struggle with, so that one wasn't quite as hard um, for me. But some people do struggle with that. And looking at the person, your, your spouse, your significant other, and realizing that that person is their own person within God and that my job is to go through life with them and to support them and to 
be an image bearer of God. With our spouses, we're supposed to be as Christ is with his church. With our children, we're supposed to be as God the Father is with us. And we see that, and we look at this, and everything belongs to God, including people. And we look at Job, and we say, how could this be? How could God take his family away? God must be crazy. He must be so cruel and so mean. And it's the realization that God didn't take Job's family away. God took his family back from Job. He took his people. And I know this is a hard thing. This is a very hard lesson to learn, especially if you've lost someone. I've lost people in my life, and it's so hard to go through this process. Why would this happen? Why is this here? And for me, once I've begun to realize that this God is bigger than who I am, he's outside of who he is. And I'm not saying that God caused everyone's death, but God knows he's in control. And if your significant other had a relationship with Christ, then he's with they're with them. We see this happen time and time again as when we try to control and try to be possessive of these things, we realize that we can't and they slip and we become embittered and angry as Job could. That leads us right into the last or the third point. It's peace and pain can coexist. And this whole thing is we're looking for peace, Right? How can I have peace when my loved one passed away from this disease? How can I have peace whenever, I, I get it, God's in control, sure. He gave me this disease, so he must just be a jerk. Right? He allowed my family to die, so he must just be a spiteful, horrible person. That's one trap we can fall into, or we can fall into the trap that Job's friends fell into, where this must be all my fault. And there's peace to know that, no, just because you're feeling pain, just because you are in this situation, doesn't mean that you did anything wrong, that God is punishing you. It doesn't mean that, that any of those things that we think about, really what it means is that God is in control. And I know that's hard. That's where this, I told you this complex of the old man. The old man has to be wise enough to look at a situation where someone has lost someone and recognize the pain because they've been through it as well. And yet there's still switches back to the little kid who says, I trust you, God. I don't know why this is happening. And it hurts so bad. But I know where I am in relation to you. And so what happens, I will give you the glory. And that's what Job did. Job gave God, he praised God in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his, his and he's able to come to peace. We see this um, really played out in 42.6. Job says, I take back everything I said. I sit in the dust and ash to show my repentance. Job had come to a place of peace. It was at the rock bottom, but he realized who God was. He realized who, it's almost like the universe came into alignment for Job. He realized his place in it. And it's tough because we aren't the, uh, the star of the show. A lot of us like to be. Our goal, our role in this life is to praise and worship God because he deserves it, because he is the I am. 
And so we are going to face pain. Jesus faced pain. Jesus went through it. We're going to face suffering. Pain and peace can coexist. Our world wants to tell us that peace is the absence of pain. And everything in the Bible points it to be the opposite. It says that in the pain, in the suffering, and this doesn't say to go out and search for it, enough will come. I remember hearing someone say that and not really understanding what that meant until as life goes. I'm sure there's folks in here who've lived longer than I who can agree that, yeah, you're going to face you're going to face enough trials in your life, then you don't need to go searching for it. But those can exist in the same place. They can exist in the same person. The final point is that God is wise and he is in control. Here's the truth. This is a tough topic. And I don't understand God fully. I know that, again, somebody might be thinking like, well, yeah, none of us do. But I don't even pretend to understand like the things written in this book, let alone who God is beyond this. I struggle a lot when people are going through pain and suffering, trying to give them counsel. I had to do a lot of hospital visitations where I sat by people's beds. I sat with several people as they took their last breaths. And you don't know what to say. And you don't know what to do because I'm not in control. And it's humbling and it's scary and it's sad because you sit and you watch and you feel helpless. I mean, you can do that with anything in your life. My wife and I are going through, some, some of our friends are going through some, some issues and you feel helpless. You watch it as things crumble and you want so desperately to reach out and just fix it. And you pray to God, I know you can fix it. And I don't understand why this is happening. And that's just, I'll be honest. I haven't figured it out and I don't think I will figure it out on this side of heaven. And so that gives me a lot of uneasiness. And the way I combat that is just by saying, God is good. God is wisdom. He is the I am. And so I will trust him. I will trust him in every single situation. I will trust him whenever I face trials. I will trust him whenever all the walls fall down. When all the pillars break, there will be one pillar in my life that remains. And it will hold it all up. So far, that's the way it's been in my life. As things crumble, there's one thing holding it up, that God is good, that he loves me. He sent his son to provide a way of reconciliation for me. Those are the things I can cling to. So no matter how wise I get in my years, it's going to come back to that infant belief of God is good, he is wise, and he is in control. And so I want to leave you with that. But before we do, I want to read a verse. We have a, we have a special guest with us this morning to read a verse. She's going to come up. Like I said, wisdom in the Bible is talked about kind of in this idea of going through trials and tribulations and experiencing that, but it's also seen through the eyes of a child. 
So I thought this verse, kind of to close out the sermon, would be a good opportunity for Journey here to read her uh, read for us, and uh, we'll kind of close it out with that. So this is from Job 32, 22 through 31. This is Elihu speaking to Job. Look, God is all-powerful. Who is a teacher like him? No one can tell him what to do or say to him, you have done wrong. Instead, glorified his mighty works, singing songs of praise. Everyone has seen these things through only from a distance. Look, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. He draws up the water vapor and then distills it into rain. The rain pours down from the clouds and everyone benefits. Who can understand the spreading of the clouds and the thunder that rolls from forth from heaven? See how he spreads the lightning around him and how it lights up the depths of the sea. By these mighty acts he nourishes the people, giving them food in abundance. Thank you. So there you go. Even something as simple back then, it always amazes me in the Bible. There, this is like Pastor Brandon said, Job's the oldest book in the Bible. And Elihu's sitting there talking. He says, the water gets sucked up from the ground, goes up into the clouds, and then it rains down. So they even understood the process then. We can understand the process. I have several friends who are meteorologists, and they could tell you all day what the process is. And they would go through and tell you how it works, but when you really get down to the, you keep going and going and going and going, and then you say, but why does that happen? And eventually, they're going to be like, it just does. <laughs> because there's, it's this, like I said, it's this paradox of you can have all this wisdom in the, in the world, you can grow and you can learn and you can learn and you can learn, but in the end, the very fact that the, the water vaporizes, goes up into the air, and then re-establishes as raindrops and falls to the earth to give our planet water is beyond us. It's beyond us. And every time we try to get in and, and take control of those things, it's always a, it's a terrible failure. God is in control. I hope this gives you, it's, it's a tough one. It's, it's hard because I really desperately wanted to give you a message that you could walk away and feel like I have some peace in this. And yet, Job is a story that has so much hurt, and it's so relatable for people who are going through trauma. So I don't want to, you to walk away today thinking I'm dismissing that. I acknowledge it. I'm also saying that peace can come. It's possible. Through just giving that up to God. Allowing him to be that, that influence in your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back in, and I would ask that you join me in prayer. Dear God, we just lift up your name. We lift you up because of who you are. We forget. We relegate you to Sunday mornings. We treat you like a magic genie. We come to you only with our problems, God. We often forget to say thank you. We forget to trust. 
And yet, God, you tell us over and over and over again of how much you love us, of how good you are, of how much control, how far above you are of this whole universe, God. And we often speak of things that we do not know in a way that is ignorant and arrogant. And so like Job this morning, we repent of that. We repent of anything that may have made us elevate our own status in your, in relation to you, God. We thank you. We thank you for all that you do. We thank you for all that you are. We pray that as we go through these struggles and these trials, protect us, guide us. God, there's people in this room this morning who are struggling. They're struggling if they even believe. They're struggling because trials have battered them down. They're struggling because they don't know your plan. They can't see how it all plans out. They can't see how this pain can be a part of any of it. God, we know that you are the great comforter. Even though you are so above us, you do care. You listen to our hurts and our trials. You didn't give up on Job. You didn't dismiss Job. You didn't even give up on his friends. Thank you for that. Thank you for allowing them back in the fold for the correction, the gentle correction that you give us. Thank you for not abandoning us. God, we praise you and we lift you up. We worship you with all that we are and all that we say and all that we do. Allow us to think of you in all things. Think of you as we get up in the morning, thanking you for the breath in our lungs. Thanking you for the people you've put in our lives. Thanking you for the situations that come throughout the day. And we walk down this road, we run down this road and we know that you are here, God. We just thank you and we lift you up. Allow us to keep you as the center of our lives. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.